Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call upon you as Father this morning. And we thank you that you treat us as your children. And one of the ways that you treat us as your children is that you speak to us. And you speak to us words that are helpful for us. Lord, we pray that as we hear your voice this morning from our Heavenly Father, we may respond as obedient children. We may hear what you say, and then we may put it into practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when people are confronted with their sin, they respond in different ways. One of the ways that my son Joshua, who's two years old, responds when confronted with his sin is he hides his hands. At the moment, he is now in a big bed. He has moved from being in a cot to a bed. And so that means, of course, that he is no longer confined in his cot overnight. And so when you go in of a morning, furniture has been moved around and lamps have been turned on. And the other morning, he was even turning the fan on. He would climb up on the uh, the chest of drawers and he could reach the fan switch. And I would go in and the fan, and this is winter now, would be going full blast and he's there in his bed smiling away at you when you go into him of a morning. And what is his response? I say, no, the fan should not be on. He's confronted with his sin. He tucks his hands under the blanket. Why does he do that? Because that's where we smack him. His bottom is too well padded with nappies, so we do not smack him there, but we smack him upon his hands. When he is confronted with sin, instead of thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that, he immediately puts his hands under the blanket or will tuck them behind his back so that you can't smack across the back of the hand. When we're confronted with our sin, we behave in different ways. And this morning we're going to be looking at a part of Isaiah that talks about people responding to their sin by deceiving themselves. They have their sin and what do they do with it? Well, they deceive themselves about their sin. And so if you've got a black church Bible, we're going to be looking at page 680 of Isaiah chapter 5, verses 18, 19, 20 and 21. And in verse 18, we see what the Israelites are doing with their sin. They have their sin, and what do they do with it? In verse 18, Isaiah says, Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit, and wickedness as with cart ropes. They have their sin, and what do they do with it? They draw it along with deceit. They cover it up with lies. They deceive even themselves about the fact that they are sinful. Instead of confronting their sin and doing something about it, they add sin upon sin and draw deceit along. They use deceit to draw their sin along behind them. And there's three particular ways in which they deceive themselves that Isaiah gives to us in verses 19, 20, and 21, that the Israelites deceive themselves in three particular ways. The first way that they deceive themselves is to mock God. And we see this in verse 18 uh, and 19. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry 
Let him hasten in his work so we may see it. Let it approach. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so we may know it. They've been told that they are sinning. And what do they do? They say, come on, God, do your worst. Let your work come. You say that you're going to judge us, that you're going to destroy us for behaving the way we've behaved. The sin that we have done is going to bring judgment. They say, bring it on. Bring what you can. Let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. Let it approach. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so we may know it. They mock God in response to their sin. They deceive themselves that they're going to be okay. And they think this because they've sinned in the past and nothing happened. God didn't hurt them. In fact, they may have even profited from their sin, had more and more pleasure and happiness through sinning. And so they deceive themselves that everything's going to be fine. And they can even go to the point of mocking God and scoffing at him and saying, bring your work. And I just don't think it will come at all. They don't believe in him. And this is still a problem today. When people are confronted with their sin, some people are blatant in mocking God. They hear about their sin, they're shown it, they hear that they will be judged by God for it, that God will punish them, and what do they do? They say, go on God, strike me down right now if you dare. Strike me down now if I'm such a bad person. They mock God to his face. They scoff at him. Do you do that? If yes, then you are deceiving yourselves just as these Israelites were deceiving themselves. Because God says in verse 18, first word there, woe. He says you will be punished. And the Israelites who scoffed here were punished. God came, he brought the Assyrian army, he brought the Babylonian army and destroyed the people who were scoffing at him. And the same will happen to you if you scoff at God and say, yes, yes, you call it sin, go on, punish me, do your worst, God. God will punish you. You are simply deceiving yourself until he does. But some people may not be so blatant. You may even think, oh, yes, I've never done that in my life, that I've scoffed at God, that he could bring punishment on me. But we still do it. And Christians are guilty of mocking God. And we do it pretty much every time we sin. When you sin, you are making a statement. You may not be saying, go on, God, do your worst, but you're saying, God, you are not the all-powerful being that you claim to be. And the punishment that you say you bring upon sin, I don't really care. I want to sin right now. And so you may say at church, you may say at Bible studies, you may say in conversation with other Christians, yes, you believe God is all-powerful. Yes, you believe God punishes sin. But when you sin, you are saying the complete opposite. You're saying you're not scared of God. You're not scared of him punishing sin. You may not say blatantly, go on God, do your worst, but that's what you're saying when you sin with your actions. You're deceiving yourself that God is not the all-powerful God that he is and that he doesn't punish. And you're thinking you will be okay. But you won't be okay 
If you sin again and again and again with no thought for God, dismissing his power, dismissing his judgment, you will be punished. God says woe to you today just as much as he says woe to the Israelites. Watch out. Don't mock me and my power, says God, because I will punish you. That's the first way that people respond with deceit towards their sin. What's the second way? Well, the second response is that when shown their sin, some rename their sin. Some rename their sin. And we see this in verse 20. Verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 5 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They're shown their sin. God says it's wrong, that it's bad, it's evil. And what do they do? They say, it's good. It's okay. God says it's bitter. I say it's sweet. God says it's dark. It's darkness to do that. And I say, it's light. It's okay. It's all right. And people still do that today. People lie to themselves that what they are doing is okay, that it's actually good what they're doing. What are examples of this? Well, in the area of sexual ethics. It goes on and on in our society. The evil of sexual immorality is called freedom. One of those good words that we associate with uh, good things is freedom. And so sexual immorality is freedom. The evil of homosexuality is natural. I'm just following my natural inclinations. Evil of pornography is said to be pleasurable, and so let's embrace it. It is a good thing because it gives us pleasure. Whereas the good of sexual purity is called stupid. Why wait until you're married? What a stupid thing to think. And so that good thing that God says is valuable is said to be evil, is said to be stupid, is said to be foolish. And the good of marriage, what do people call that? Do they call it good? They call it slavery. Why would you enslave yourself to one person for the rest of your life? And so they mock it and they rename it. They respond to their sin with renaming the evil as good and the good as evil. And in the area of money, people do this as well. The evil of greed is said to be what faithful saving. You're just making sure you're looking after yourself when in fact you're just being greedier and greedier and accumulating more and more. Whereas the good of giving generously is said to be a waste of money. Why would you give to the poor? They'll just squander it anyway. Why would you give money to people overseas? It's a waste of money. They won't use it for anything good. It is better to keep it for yourself. Giving generously is a good thing, but they say it's a bad thing. And in the area of your attitudes and the piety of people, they rename that as well. So the evil of aggressiveness is said to be winning. If you're aggressive, you're a winner. You will win arguments if you're an aggressive person. And so it's a good thing to win, isn't it? It's good to be on the winning side. It is good to be on the winning side. But aggressiveness is not a good thing. And the evil of pride, say it's good self-esteem. It's all about self-esteem. 
And so we can be proud, but all and but people just relabel it as something good instead. Whereas the good of meekness is said to be stupidity. And humility, being humble about yourself, well, that's depression. You've got a bit of a mental illness if you think low of yourself. And so we label something that's really good, like humility, as something bad and something that should be shunned. And what about when it comes to eating and drinking? Well, people love to rename gluttony, don't they, and drunkenness. Drunkenness is said to be some. Uh, it's said to be having a good time. You have a good time down at the pub when all you're doing is getting drunk and doing something evil, and so you're lying to yourself. Whereas the evil of gluttony, eating too much, you're said to be someone who enjoys your food and has a good appetite, rather than someone who is self-controlled. And if you are self-controlled, what do you say? Well. You don't drink like everybody else. You don't eat like everybody else. People say uh, you're uh, someone who is unfriendly, unsociable instead. And then when it comes to bioethics and human life, people love to rename evils there as well. The evil of abortion is turned into woman's rights. It's all about rights. It's not about murder and sanctity of human life. It's about rights. And when it comes to euthanasia, it's about relief of suffering, about kindness to people. Whereas if you make a stand for abortion and protecting unborn life, you're seen to be insensitive to women and not caring about the mother. And when you make a stand against euthanasia, you're said to be a cruel person, that you're not letting someone have the right to die. And so we rename evil things as good. And some do this blatantly. Some rename their sin blatantly in spite of all the evidence that they know about that says that something sinful is really bad. So there's stacks of evidence to suggest that sexual immorality is a real problem, that it destroys bodies with all the different diseases you gather if you're sexually immoral and it destroys the fabric of society, families that hold society together and make societies prosper. They're destroyed through sexual immorality but people just ignore the evidence. They may have been shown the evidence but they blatantly rename their sin and say it's good. And abortion is clearly wrong as well. Life begins at conception. There's no other way to understand that life begins. You can't say 12 weeks, suddenly you stop being an it and become a person. There's no way of doing that. Life begins at conception. And even some of the arguments that people throw out for abortion, saying that it's okay, like incest, and saying that makes it okay to abort a child if it's conceived through incest, is right. They say that. But it's totally wrong. If you found out that a seven-year-old child turned out to be a child of incest, would you say that the mother has a right to kill the seven-year-old? No, you wouldn't. So what's the difference in age that makes it okay when the child is much, much younger? We rename things as right when they're wrong. And when euthanasia is said to be right, often that turns into something else. It, starts, it stops being about the person having a right to die, and actually becomes about the people around them. Those countries that practice euthanasia give reports of this. 
where people start saying, I don't want to be a burden on my family anymore, so I think I should die. And so it no longer becomes about their rights, but becomes about the people around them. So it's clearly a practice that is, once you start killing people, you go down a slippery slope, and it's wrong. The evidence is there, but people are blatant. They see that evidence and they ignore it and say it is right and okay. Is that you? Are you blatant in renaming your sin? You know the evidence is there and it proves that it is wrong. But instead, you say it is good. That something that is bitter is sweet, something that is dark is light. If that is you, God says woe to you. Verse 20, first word, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Every time you sin and rename it, you will be punished for it. But you may not be so blatant in sinning in this way by saying, yes, I renamed the sin. But some of us do it much more subtly. In fact, all of us do it much more subtly. Every time you sin, you are renaming your sin as something good. Otherwise, you wouldn't sin. You're saying, I want to do this right now because it gives me pleasure. It is a pleasurable and good thing for me to do. And so you may not say, oh yes, this is right. But by your actions, you are saying it is okay. And you are renaming your sin as good. And you are deceiving yourself. Because God will indeed punish you for it. So the second way that we deceive ourselves about our sin when we're showing it is that we rename it. What is the third way, the last way that the Israelites respond to being shown their sin? My third main point this morning then is when shown their sins, some respond with pride. The other way we can deceive ourselves about our sin is to be proud. And we see that in verse 21. Verse 21 of Isaiah chapter 5 says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. When shown their sin, what do they do? They say, I know better. I know better than you, God. I am wise about sin in a way that you are not. And I can sin in this way and it will be okay. And this is still a problem today. Some people are blatant in their denial of God's wisdom and hold up their own wisdom instead. And a common example of this is the way they treat the Bible. They say the Bible is not a wise book. And so they then make themselves the wise one who decide what is right and wrong in the Bible, which parts of the Bible they will accept and which parts they won't accept. And instead of the Bible being over them, they set themselves over the Bible. Or they may even just dismiss it as an archaic book, an old book that has no relevance for us today. And so they just dismiss it. And they do that because they think they are wiser than the Bible, wiser than God. Or they may even pit falsely Christianity with science and say that science is wiser and Christianity is stupid, which is not true at all. 
Many Christians have been at the forefront of science. Science and Christianity are not enemies. You can go back into history and always find some people who claim to be Christians who are enemies of science. But just because there are some people who claim to be Christians and try to stop scientific progress doesn't mean that Christianity is against science. Because you can also go back and find some atheists, some people who are completely godless, and they try and stop the evidence from coming to light. They try and hinder science. And so science and Christianity are not enemies. But people try in their wisdom and try and make them enemies, and they're blatant in doing so. I recently watched a TV show put out by Richard Dawkins, the famous prominent atheist, and his TV show, it's a mini-series, is called Enemies of Reason. And I think that the show, Richard Dawkins himself, is an enemy of reason, that he, in the face of reasonable Christianity, defies it and dismisses it and says, I am wiser than Christianity. I am wiser than the Bible. I am wiser than the evidence that proves that it is true. And so he sins. He deceives himself that he is okay. But we've got to remember that we as Christians do the same thing. We may not do it so blatantly, but we deceive ourselves every time we sin in the same way. Because when you sin as a Christian, you are saying, I'm wiser than God at this present moment and I think it's okay for me to sin in this way. I won't listen to him and his wisdom. I will listen to myself. And so I am one of those who is wise in my own eyes and clever in my own sight. And you may even be so clever that you think, I will sin right now and then I know what the Bible teaches about forgiveness of sins and that after I sin, as long as I repent and believe that Jesus died for that sin, I will be okay. And so you think, how clever am I? I know what the Bible teaches about the gospel and so it'll be all right. I can sin this once and it'll be fine. But God says to you, woe. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. He will bring punishment on you, no matter how clever you think you are, no matter how wise you think you are in your own sight. God is the wise one and his book is wisdom and it pronounces judgment upon you. So what is the right response to when you're confronted with your sin. Clearly, you're not supposed to deceive yourself by mocking God and saying he can't bring anything, that you're supposed to rename your sin, that you're supposed to be wise about your sin and think that you'll be okay. What is the right response to when you are shown your sin? Well, the right response is my fourth main point this morning. When shown your sin, respond with repentance and faith. When you know that you have sinned, what are you supposed to do? Not justify it with some wise argument, rename it, mock God. No, you're supposed to repent. What is repentance? Well, it's being sorry about your sin, that you have sinned against God and that you probably sinned against your fellow man in doing what you've done. Being sorry about it, but also turning from your sin. It's not good enough to be upset about your sin. You've got to change. 
turn from your sin. Try not to sin any longer. What else are you meant to do? Or you're meant to believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus Christ covered your sin for you. That at the cross as he hung there, he was taking your sin upon his shoulders. The wrath of God that you deserve, all these woes that we have committed. I've scoffed God. I've uh, called evil good. I've been wise in my own eyes. Many, many times in my life when I've sinned, and I deserve those three woes poured out upon me, but instead at the cross, I believe Jesus Christ was receiving those woes instead. And so I am safe. I am secure through Jesus' blood and death for me. That is the right response to knowing about your sin. When God graciously reveals your sin to you, what are you to do? Repent of it and believe that Jesus paid for it. How do you respond to your sin? Do you do what these Israelites do? Or do you repent and believe that Jesus pays for it and stop sinning any longer because you have truly repented? Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do show us our sin, that we do not live in ignorance, that our consciences are not quiet, that your word is not quiet in revealing our sin to us. But Lord, we see how hard our hearts are, that when showing our sin, instead of repenting, of it, instead we compound it with more and more sin. The sin of deceit. We lie to ourselves that we will be okay, that you will not punish us. We lie to ourselves in saying that what we have done that is evil is actually good. And we think that we are wise in our own eyes, that we know what is best for us rather than you. Lord, we pray that you may forgive us. Help us to change so that we do not sin, that we respect you and your word, and we fear your coming judgment. And Lord, we pray that we may believe that Jesus Christ paid for our sins for us, that those woes that are pronounced upon us in Scripture are instead pronounced upon him at the cross, and we go free through his death for us, And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.